You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. And alongside me, as always, is... Paul Gillieri. Paul, we're here with episode 103. That's exciting. <laughs> I really wanted to set you up with something really anticlimactic, and that was it. That was it. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm already, I have already begun my campaign to consistently disappoint our listeners for the next uh, 87 episodes or 97 episodes. Pardon me. Wow. That's a bold, bold feat. You're jumping here. (laughs) Just make everybody unsubscribe who we've been asking to subscribe the past damn near two years. Hey, two years is coming up. I know. I know. Oh man. I guess this podcast is, uh, it it just feels like a, just a, a, just a, comfy pair of old underwear that after a while it just becomes a part of it. okay garth <laughs> <laughs> only i can do I that wayne's old references in the show yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right <clears throat> welcome everybody um we are going to be talking about something that we thought of a few weeks back when we were talking about eddie vetter's earthling album uh and that is uh, and also um we should mention that as of the taping of this episode in about three days four days we'll have a brand new um painted shield record uh side projects are, are a thing that are happening hey hey matt cameron just released or is about to release an album with um a band called third secret which features chris novoselic from uh from nirvana and kim thale from soundgarden and a couple of ladies who i i don't i don't recognize but um that album is either out now or, or soon to be. So the point is, is that people are are doing other things besides Pearl Jam, even though we know that Pearl Jam stuff is happening, let alone the tour. The next album is happening in the background. But while we wait for that, there's these little amuse-bouches, if you will, mm-hmm. of music to come. And so we thought, you know, what if Mike McCready put together his own new solo thing that wasn't the Rockfords or, or, or a new shadow thing or just a, just a Mike McCready. Cause he's, he's talking about in, in recent interviews, he's spoken about putting together some stuff that would be a solo record. And we go, huh, what would that sound like? Who would he include? Might it be like a, uh, apocalyptic love slash offering? Um, if you guys don't know, slash had an album out, I don't know, gotta be, 10 years ago now at least a while ago where he had i think 14 15 songs on there and almost every single one of them was a different singer yeah uh it was super super interesting from there he found miles kennedy who is the alter bridge singer a slash guitarist who he kind of lured away to be the lead singer from his band slash featuring miles kennedy and the conspirators and um we think that mike mccready is the kind of guy who, hey, he's going to have a solo on the new Ozzy record. Yep. He knows people in the business, that, and people know him, and people like him. And he's a damn good guitar player, obviously. So uh-huh. what if 
Mike McCready made an apocalyptic love type album. Who are some of the collaborators? What kind of styles did we see? We thought this would be an interesting discussion. Uh, we will get into our next topic after that, which will be uh, essential song. We're going to revive that and we'll choose our essential song from No Code and then get into our lyric and live card of the week. Um, all right, Paul, I'm just going to straight up and ask you. Uh, Mike McCready, he's got all this time on his hands. Who is he calling to get involved and singers, drummers, everybody. And what kind of styles do you think you would see? So uh, I think I think the first thing he would do is kind of harken back to some of his signature influences. I think... Uh, I agree. Uh, I'd be shocked if we didn't see some Rolling Stones bandmates on this album. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Keith Richards. That would be Mick amazing. Jagger. Mm. For sure. I, I think Mick sings at least one song. Uh, I, I think Keith jumps on there for sure. Um, I think the Rolling Stones, he cited as one of, if not his actual favorite band of all time. Great, great, great band, obviously. Iconic. So I could definitely see those two on a Mike McCready solo record making a cameo. Uh, cannot imagine Pete, Pete Townsend not being on there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Pete, Pete does sing, so I, I could see Pete, Pete doing a number or two, maybe, maybe bring Roger on as well, you know? Um, I, I like David Gilmore from Pink Floyd. Oh I, man. Can you imagine like a, like a dueling solo thing with David Gilmore? I mean, I know David Gilmore is damn near 80 years old at this point. But yeah, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not matter. That would no, be incredible. Yeah, it would be. Um, you know, Mike has a great affinity for Eddie Van Halen, who we sadly lost in 2020. But David Lee Roth could definitely do uh, do a hell of a vocal track to "Ain't Talking About Love." <laughs> Mike Mike shredding do you, away. Do you think he'd cover so, anything? Or would it, would it I don't know. I, I probably not, but I, I can easily see David Lee Roth jumping on for uh, for some vocals for sure. Well, think about I think about you know you talk about his roots and. I, I think there are things like um, some of the blues guys that he, he grew up on. Obviously, you know, you know, guys like Jimmy or Robert Johnson, those guys are not with mm-hmm. us. BB King even, but I could see a guy like um, Joe Bonamassa coming on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be very, very interesting. Another blues guy who can shred and, and play kind of anything. I think you have people like um, Ace Freely from Kiss. Mm-hmm. I think that would be yeah. very interesting. I mean, he, he's he's uh, he's done Black Diamond mm-hmm. at a Pearl Jam show. Um, I, I could see Jimmy Jimmy Page or or Plant coming on as well. I've, I think those are more long shots. What's interesting uh, about Jimmy Page is Ozzy asked him to be on his new record, and, and Jimmy politely declined. Right, that's doing a I guess I don't know, a solo thing or something. But like, um, let's say that Jimmy was not doing his own thing. That would be super interesting to have. It would be. It would be. But he, he didn't make my list, not because I don't think he'd be a tremendous addition, but uh, I just, I, for some reason, I, I don't see the pairing actually ever happening. Uh, but obviously, I think Barrett Martin from uh, Screaming Trees and Mad Season. Oh, would yeah. Be there. You can see some vocals there. I think Neil, Uncle Neil, jumps yep, in. Absolutely. You can see that. Uh, Carrie uh, Akram from the Rockfords, that, that high school band of Mike's that he loves so much. 
I could see Kerry jumping in as well for, for a track. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention Duff McKagan. I think. Oh uh, man, Duff, Duff is Duff is a hundred percent on the record. Well, he's 100%. he's already played with him in the Walking Papers and the Levy Walkers, both both side projects with Barrett Martin as well. So, can definitely see uh, that pairing for sure. I could see all three of those guys jumping in for a couple of tracks. Uh, I could see Brandy Carlisle as well. Mm, that's um, a great show. Uh, what one that jumps out to me that I think would be a, just a tremendous treat for him would be covering if there was a cover song i think i think it would be a stevie ray vaughn song and i think he would have the three members of double trouble i think he'd have chris layton tommy shannon and reese winant uh, reese on on keyboards and uh i think chris on bass and i think tommy on uh on uh no chris on drums i think tommy on bass i might be mixing the two of those up but uh double trouble for those of you who don't know that was stevie ray vaughn's band Stevie is a huge influence on Mike McCready, and I can definitely see those three guys coming in and, and doing a, a cover. With, I had not Mike. thought about Double Trouble. That is an excellent shout. Um, oh man, it, Texas Flood or something like that, or uh, uh, there's, oh, so, oh, there's so many jams, so many good, um, good shouts there. So I, I, I think that would be a, a pretty loaded solo album right there just with nobody, nobody now, current you think oh yeah i mean you know i i, I could see i could see jack I, white I would, coming on i could see yeah i mean i could see jack white i could see uh you know more if you wanted me to the, I, I i think it'd be a pretty cool thing to have um uh kevin martin lead singer candlebox in mm-hmm. i think that that's a band that uh has just suffered far too much unwarranted just vitriol from a lot of the Seattle purists that and the funny thing is they're from Seattle too. It's not, I don't you know everybody thought they were uh, kind of these transplants riding on the bandwagon that they, they had been there for years longer than a lot of the big bands actually mm. that came out of Seattle. But uh I could see something like that. Um obviously I think uh so, some some Soundgarden members I could see piling in as well. Yeah, that's a, that's an easy show. I, th- I think also show. uh Jerry Cantrell. Yeah, I think I could see Jerry coming in, maybe even singing a song. I don't know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the vocalist part is, other than some of the names I mentioned, is a little tricky only because I think that Mike, um, he, he'd want to bring in a vocalist. Uh, like the reason I thought of David Lee Roth is just because, you know, Eddie played with him, that kind of a thing, you know. So I, I could see him wanting to, uh, to, to play a, a Van Halen style song, but have sure. David, you know, have, have, have David Lee Roth be the be the guy on the mic but some of the newer names i mean that's it, tough I, I i you know with eddie it's a little easier just because he's he's so uh transparent in in the acts that he supports and and so on and i think in a lot of ways mike is too as far as less less so than i think jeff and, and stone have been as far as kind of citing some of the newer bands out there that they really like and are enjoying mm. Um, so that one, I, I was having a hard time kind of thinking about what, what newer vocalists might, might jump in. Um, one guy I would love to hear on a mic album, I think would be just a really, really cool, interesting pairing would be Dermot Kennedy, a very, very uh, successful Irish musician. He's actually going to be night three at Ohana festival this year. So Dermot Why do Kennedy I know that is, name? Uh, so, I know that name. Oh, he's I he's the, the number one selling artist in Ireland. Fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Just a, a oh, maybe, tremendous maybe you told me about him, actually. musician. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. I did. 
Uh, so I would love to see um, to see him pair with Mike as well. Uh, very, very different styles of music, obviously, but I, I think it'd be it'd be cool. Um, so yeah, you know, I think the vocal. I'd have to put a little bit more thought into the vocal. Uh, I got one for you. Yeah, Ann Wilson. Hmm. Little heart throwback. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think I think either Wilson sister Nancy for uh, sure or Nancy Anne Orton. would yeah. repair beautifully. Um, I think if we did not have the unfortunate events of of a couple months ago, uh, Mark Lanigan would have been a great yeah. shout. Absolutely. Um, I think somebody like uh, think about drummers, Josh Freeze would be a great shout. He's mm-hmm. the kind of guy that's put a lot of those guys. What, what do you think? Like, here, here's one. I what do you think? What do you think of Dave Grohl? I think anybody in the Foo Fighters would be for sure. But I, it, it's so bizarre to me how we haven't. I haven't seen as much Dave Grohl and Pearl Jam as I. Th- thought I would in the last 15 to 20 years. I just really thought over time that there would be just a lot more stuff, not, not necessarily content in the studio, but you know, more, more benefit stuff, more getting together, playing yeah, live. I don't know. I mean, I know that they're buddies and they're friends. Yeah, um, you know what? We'll have to, I mean, that this is that, that we're talking about is going to be a reality um, at least anytime soon, but like, Perhaps the the recent events um, make the guys in the foos think about who who their long term friends are and, and reassess yeah. com- some of those and try and reconnect uh, some of those bonds that maybe were strained not not by anyone's choosing but just kind of you know time. Um, I think that that would be a, an easy choice. Um, any 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 of the people that came from that era. Right. Um, would be would be an easy choice. Then you have people like you know, if they're around Joe Perry, you know, Tom Hamilton from Aerosmith, those guys. <laughs> I think be fun. I mean, he's he's fun. a huge Aerosmith fan. So why yes, not? yes, yeah, St- Stephen Tyler would be, be a great ad there. Can you imagine Stephen singing on a on a McCready track? Oh man. See now, I want this. <laughs> now, yeah, we, we, the, the conversation we just had makes me really. I, I'd love to hear what. Uh, obviously, some additional names you might have, but in addition to that, what our good listeners think about this. I mean, I, I'm sure that we're gonna hear some it fantastic just, suggestions that you and oh, I just, yeah. just, are just completely. On. Yeah, people are gonna be like, "Why are you talking about such and such?" And like, I, because I just, we're not as smart as you. That's well, that's, that's that's for sure. Number one. You know, it, I think you should, if you back it up and say, okay, what what styles would he would he want to throw on this? You got to have obviously the blues stuff. Mm-hmm. You have the yeah. the classic hard rock. You have some, some, punk, some punk stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be interesting. Nick Cave. Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. That show. could be kind of cool. Some of the weird, some of the weirder stuff that that Mike's into. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it. What we're talking about here is that. We're at the point now with with Mike and, and and Pearl Jam is that the influences that he had and the people he's influenced are so great, and people respect him so much that if he chose to do this and not just try and kind of write in a bubble and do his own thing, which is admirable, and it's, it's a tough prospect, and I'm sure he learned a lot from the prospect of trying to write inside job, for example. Right. Um, this would be something that I, I think would, I don't, I'm not going to say take the music world by storm, but like, 
pe- people who like this kind of music will be like, well, holy shit, like what we know what he's capable of with the band. So the question is, if he had some of these contemporaries around him, if him and let's say he had a core band, let's say he had it was him, Duff, um, I don't know who else, who, who else would be that? Maybe uh, Sean Kenny from Alice in Chains, maybe I mean, those guys are all yeah. friends. Um, uh, I mean, it's core band. I, I, I could see uh, Barrett Martin, obviously. Uh, mm. I, I could see um, my guy like Chris Shiflett, mm-hmm. you know. What do you guys think? I think I think this is something that's it's obviously super open and and it's not necessarily think it's going to happen, but it made us think. And I'm like I said, I'm sure there's tons of people um, that were that were missing a lot of uh, contemporary people, modern uh, players. You know, saying Jack White's pretty pretty easy, easy, pretty obvious. But tell us what you think. Is there is there somebody that we're missing that is obvious? Uh, I'd be interested to know. Because I think this would be an incredible project. And Mike, if you're listening, you know, we should out your contacts. Just yeah. <laughs> make it make it happen. Because we'll be super happy to listen to it. Um, let's get into a segment that we've done a few of. Let's see how many have we done so far. We have done. We've done verses. We've done binaural. We've done right act. And now we're doing no code, most essential song. So would you like to start? Or would you like me to start? Uh, I'll go ahead and start. All right, sir. What do you so got? So th- this this was really hard for me. Um, it's very hard. My my first instinct was it's got to be a Jack song, right? So I was just banding back and forth between who you are and in my tree over and over and over again. Hmm. I I can't I can't think of no code without thinking of Jack. Uh, but what I think the true hallmark of this album is not so much Jack as much as much as it was the band really expanding the bandwidth of their sound and their influences you know we we get a lot of very unique experimentation that um we we saw glimpses of i think with vitology but it really gets augmented and expanded upon in this album we get eastern influences we get these very very subtle harmonies and the song like off he goes we get some some spoken word which we'll get again on on yield um Obviously, we have we have Jack's drumming. It was just a, a very, very purposeful and deliberate departure from the sound that we had come to know that had defined Pearl Jam as a band. And I think, it, obviously, it was jarring for the band as well because they nearly broke up over this album. <laughs> uh, you know, the, Jeff was kind of the, the um, unintended consequence. The spectators. Yeah, in a lot of ways, you know. Um, but I, I think that when you think about some of the issues that come out of, of, of these songs, uh, you know, reflection, spirituality, right and wrong morality. Um, there's one song that I think captures all those things. And, and for me, that song is present tense. So if I had to choose an essential song that I think captures the, the lyrical themes that I think truly define the album as a whole, while at the same time capturing some of the, um, the production and the uh, the composition style and the dynamic instrumentation and the length, obviously, because they, they really, this is a, a song that was drawn out. There's a lot of measures in this song. I would say that, that that's a song for me that probably defines the album. It, it would be an essential song for me. And there, there's a lot of them, I think. You can make an argument for all, uh, most of the songs, quite frankly, <laughs> given uh, 
given the nature and the context under which it was composed. But if I had to pick one, I'd go with that one. If you told me this exercise and said you have three seconds to figure it out, I'd probably say the same thing. Mm. Uh, it, it was my knee-jerk reaction when we when we came up with it with the topic. Um, but then I thought, okay, is that too obvious? Is there something that I'm? Is there something about another song that I'm not quite thinking of, or am I am I being too superficial about it? Am I not diving deep enough to really to understand why this would be considered the most essential song? Tell me, you went with mankind? God damn it, dude! <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> Uh, I did go with a song you've already mentioned, and I, I've chosen Who You Are. And okay. Solid. Yeah. The world is what it is, and you are who you are, and that's enough. And that's kind of the message here. And at the same, at the time that the album came out, there was a sense of hiding from the limelight, but also a recognition of what the band needed to feel comfortable that 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 band needed to feel comfortable in their own skin to be confident in the choices that they were making and they made some uh, some pretty bold ones the previous few years and this was the point at which they started to turn toward a singular band confidence and earnest in my opinion and there are so many good choices as you mentioned on this record but i think this one i think there's a reason it was chosen as the lead single and it's not the strangely shoehorned lyric of aforementioned verse that makes me want to choose it. It's because the band finally admitted and, and celebrated themselves for who they were at the time, and in turn asked their audience to do the same. It was a massive turning point, which, you know, you, you've, we've argued before that the breadcrumbs were kind of trickled in, in Vitalogy, but. Yep. You got the birth of no. You've got the um, very in, in um, the very intentional sound of the versus record. You have the the evolution um, of what Vitalogy came to be, and then that 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 complete transformation, the uh, the metamorphosis, if you will, if I can quote Kafka here. And um, look at me, I'm quoting Kafka. Referencing Kafka, <laughs> what's happening here? We we, we, reversed, we reversed roles. Um, it, this felt like you know the butterfly emerging. Uh, they were finally confident to say, "Hey, guess what? We want to put this record out, and it is what it is, and this is how we feel." And we're we're being vulnerable on this record. We're being personal, um, but guess what? That's cool. That's cool for us to do. It's cool for you to do. Embrace that, guys. And a lot of people were not ready for that, but they were, and that's key. And I think that this is the song to define that uh, amongst the bevy of songs that kind of swim in the same pond, uh, one of which you chose and is a fantastic choice. Well, I, th I love the fact that we came to different conclusions for this one, um, but I also love the fact that we both were teetering on the edge of going with the song the other one chose, other one chose. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is great it speaks volumes i'm curious uh what y'all think about that I, I i'm imagining some of you are in total agreement with us and some of you guys are like 
no, it really is mankind. Do you understand? There's like a whole, <laughs> I wrote a dissertation in college all about it. I got 47 pages. Uh, yeah, they, they, those are our choices. Most essential song. You say present tense. I say who you are. Both lovely choices. Uh, let us know what you guys think in the comment section. Uh, herein, therein, wherein. I don't know what the right word is. Anyways, <laughs> let's get to our lyric of the week. It had to come sometime, Paul. It sure we are, uh, <laughs> Well, cat's out of the bag. We initially chose uh, a Mike McCready song, and that was uh, Inside Job. And then we realized at the last minute, wait a minute, we already did that song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rather than make the same mistake we made with In My Tree uh, all those moons well, ago, we called a hot route the last second. And yep. we, uh, we've chosen a song from the 10 era, and that song is Yellow Light Better. All right, so the lyrics for the song. Uh, look, there are of, lyrics. We've, we've um, chosen here the the, that, the, the chorus because it's the most little. recognizable, correct? <laughs> consistent correct. Ones. Look, I, obviously, Mike's guitar is in many respects the uh, the the lead, mm-hmm. both both literally and figuratively in this song. Which which I think, given our our our, our what if, which we kind of converted into a, a bit of a main topic today. Um, Seemed very apropos. Mm-hmm. However, this particular song, I mean, those listening know the backstory about Eddie and his friend and um, Tim. Tim and, and uh, the neighbors going by and, uh, you know, the, the, the relative who was a veteran. It's, it's a bit convoluted. I don't think the details matter, uh, obviously, because the, the <laughs> That there's a lot of debate on the details of the lyrics themselves, as mm-hmm. far as what what he's actually enunciating or not. Uh, so, this particular set of lyrics here, I don't think necessarily resonate, um, other than to point out the fact that there's something very unique about people's perceptions of war, but more specifically those who participate in it. Um, you know, Zelensky was interviewed recently about the war in Ukraine, and uh, there's some, some citizens that have been documenting some war crimes out mm-hmm. there, and uh, it, it's it's really become just the the prevailing source of of news as, as it should be. Um, and I started thinking about thinking back towards the Vietnam War. Mostly because I, I remember thinking to myself how gung-ho so many Americans were to sign up for Vietnam. You know, that there was those who got drafted, and then there were those who, who literally like went into it all wide-eyed and idealistic. Uh, those of you who have seen Born on the Fourth of July with Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. I think that that's a great portrayal of kind of that view and, and how <laughs> the, the, the character arc of what happens to somebody who goes through that experience and comes out of that and and how that changes you. But um, it's just, 
it's amazing how some, so many people went in thinking they were fighting for something and then they came home and they were just, they had just things thrown at them and they were called baby killer. And, and, you know, they were, they were treated like second class citizens and, you know, they looked at their, their parents and their uncles and their fathers and their grandparents or the grandfathers who came home in world war one and world war two, or, or even the Korean war as these, these, uh, these heroes, these exalted heroes yeah. for, for, you know, fighting for liberty and freedom for all. And, uh, you know, they thought they were doing the same thing and they come home and <laughs> it's just, uh, it, it just goes to show you how complex things have become. And I think when, when the Gulf war was happening and, and all the subsequent conflicts in the middle East and, and now what's happening in the Ukraine, what we're finding now is that there is no righteous side to this stuff anymore. It's just complicated. And it's equally as complicated, I think, for the folks back home. And uh, I think it, war just touches us all, whether you're abroad fighting it or, or you're at home trying to process it. And I think these lyrics, I, the ambiguity of them and the lack of clarity, I think, actually works if you want to look at it from that vantage point. Um, a song about just not really cl- clearly being able to process it. And, and perhaps never being able to truly process it. And I, and I think anybody who's touched by war, that, that that's a perfect articulation. Uh, you know, my wife, her, her grandfather turned 100 last year. And uh, we flew out for his birthday. Actually, he made it to 101 this year. So kudos to him. Uh, hat tip to Grandpa Joe, as they call him. And uh, I, I was sitting at a table with him. And, I, you know, whenever I'm around people who've lived this long, I mean, I can't help but just try to get them talking. You know, I just would like to be a sponge and absorb whatever brain. they have to yeah. pick the brain. And, you know, somehow his experiences in, in World War II came up and uh, he was moved to tears and he, he couldn't go on. I mean, how many decades ago was that? And it was it, it, even in the, the twilight years of his life, he, he still can't have a conversation and reflect back on those experiences without being so emotionally afflicted by them yeah and uh and in no way shape or form am i <laughs> casting any type of judgment or i have no opinion on that I, it's purely an observation of, of the gravity and the weight of those experiences and how i can i could not possibly empathize with that but um i think this song just kind of does a nice job of of capturing the inability to put into words <laughs> both literally and figuratively um how difficult war is on those who are affected by it. And, uh, and I think Mike's music rightfully so takes center stage because it's, uh, it's, it, it's so emotive. And I think that's, and bluesy, you know? And, and I think that, uh, it's, it's actually, a, it's, it's a song that I think is, is uplifted in the Pearl Jam community for, for being so cool as it is. But I, I, sometimes I wonder if maybe we don't give it enough credit you know what I mean? It, it, it's more than just a doodle or an exercise or a fragment. I, I think that there's, there's act, it's actually a complete work if you want to look at it from this lens. You know, we chose um, the, our favorite live cut of Whipping from Soldier Field. Yep. In, in part, I'm sorry, not Whipping, uh, Lucan, in part mm. because it was sort of intelligible and that intelligibility was what kind of made it even better yeah uh, because of the it, it, good, the good messiness callback. the messiness is is kind of part of it not just the articulation not, not just the words itself not just the music um and you can argue as you did that 
Eddie's vocals are just another instrument. They're not meant to be at the forefront per se, um, which is probably why the lyrics and the verses at least change pretty much every single time outside of like the last line. Um, and then the chorus. Yeah. You know, when you, when you think about when this was written, the Gulf War had just started and at the time it was only 16 years removed from the end of Vietnam. Yeah. Imagine that, 16 years. We are farther from 9-11 right now than when Eddie wrote the song to end of Vietnam War. That is wild. That's like, that's like that's Vietnam nuts. happening in 2005 or 2006. That's, that's crazy. So that was fresh in people's minds. The 80s, there, were, there was the Cold War um, prospects, but there wasn't any actual altercations. Um, and then the first real battle engagements 16 years later from Vietnam, and people still have that in their, in their minds. And it's right at the outset of cable news, where every single day on TV, you can see live images. I remember sitting at home. Yeah, the Gulf War. I remember watching those Scud missiles. Yeah, and thinking to myself, "Oh my God! Like I'm watching this in real time." Like, yeah, this is- it was amazing. Even as, even even as a kid, I could understand that this was not normal. No, to be able to see war happening on your TV screen every single night at six o'clock news. You know, with whoever the hell it was Dan Rather, um, Peter Jennings, or whoever. Um, and you, know, you got it in piecemeal. You got it in very filtered formats through the newspapers or the newsreels back in the 60s and 70s, you didn't get it like you did in 91. So the perception on top of Vietnam forced people to, and and, and they might have already had their, their prejudices about war in general or the army or soldiers. And it's like, listen, soldiers are, they're doing a job. And some were gung-ho to be there and some were drafted and some just needed to do it because they needed to pay for college and they were there kind of begrudgingly just doing it, just doing a gig and they don't necessarily have their, well, they don't necessarily at all. They don't, they don't have their politics in mind. They are just doing a job and sometimes they don't, they don't agree with it. Sometimes they do. And that all kind of gets distorted and forgotten. And so if you don't like the conflict, you don't like the war or you do like the war, it's going to change how you feel about the people who are fighting it or, or I should say it can, I think, I think my personal opinion, wiser people might say, I understand that these people are doing a job. I understand that not all of them want to be doing what they're doing. Um, and I'm just wishing that they can do their jobs safely and with as little you see, a civilian casualty. And, you know, for all the right reasons is what we hope. <laughs> But some people just have a much more distorted binary view. And what Eddie seems to be, or the story at least, writing about is a buddy of his who who felt that, who felt that coldness from somebody who was supposed to be, you know, rooting for his brother. Um, and I think that's, you know, for somebody like Eddie who grew up with, with Vietnam at the, you know, on, his, on his doorstep, you know, he was born in what 59 60 so, no no right no he was born in like 65 so his entire childhood was vietnam 
so it, it, it's it's a it's a strange thing to be writing when you're that age in 91 and it's probably a strange thing to see um i guess the reaction to soldiers kind of cha- transform over the years you have a song like no way or uh, not no way i'm sorry no more no more um and other anti-war songs and, and army reserve and yeah. yellow but are always a very interesting song that kind of i think i agree with you it kind of has a an effect where people kind of forget what it's really about or, or, right. or the depth of it because it's hey, just mumbling they it's think mumbling yeah, so. <laughs> and it's the show closer and it's a chance for mikey to do his thing and get wild yes that's amazing um but hey there are words technically to this song and it adds a, a different dimension that I think we often uh, forget about at least. So let's then move on to, Oh, I can't wait for this one. Our live cover of the week. Ready to stand up. This is going to be tough. Uh, this song's been played. I don't have it pulled up here, but it's been played a kajillion times. Yeah, is that a is that a right number? Um, when was the first it. time? I'm trying to remember. Three hundred and thirty-nine times. Oh, I'm sorry, three hundred and seventy-four times been played. Three hundred and thirty-nine of those were closers. Wow. Um, what uh, what time? What 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 town are we going to? What time are we going to? Remind me when the first appearance was of the song. The first appearance is November 6th, 1993 in Mesa, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's where we're going. <laughs> That's where we're going. I, I, uh, I think a lot of people think with this song, just because it's so 10 era centric that they think, oh, well, I had to have played 90, 91, 90. No, it wasn't until 93 that we actually heard this song played live. And, uh, because of it, the, the, the raw, organic, jam session-esque feel to it, I always felt like this first version was, it, was the best. It was the first time that they went out there and said, Let, let's take that, that cool little thing we did and let's just do it live. And ever since then, I feel as though it has become, um, I don't want to call it a scene or a production, but it's, it's become a thing. And it wasn't a thing then. You know what I mean? It was just replicating what they had done in the studio. And uh, for those of you wondering, that version in, in Arizona is also on the daughter single. It's actually one of the B-sides on the daughter single. And uh, it, it was the one that I always thought was, uh, was the best. Um, it's the one I enjoy the most because of that context. Uh, but, I, but I will admit, I mean, there's no bad version of it, obviously. Uh, completely understand if a version from 2008 or 2016 you know, is, is the one that, uh, you know, rocks your boat, but, uh, I got a special place in my heart for the, the, the first time that they, they took this, this very, very cool, um, Im- I'll, I'll go as far as to call it an improv live and, and just decided to see what that, that felt like. All right. Well, let's go to Mesa, Arizona, November 6th, 1993. On the silver, on a horse, I'm a 
See you tomorrow. Good night. Thanks. This one's interesting because, you know, obviously, first time they played it live, so you don't know what you're really going to get. There's yeah. almost no intro. They just kind of dive right into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's maybe the most stripped down version I've ever heard. Um, yeah, it's not this. That's why I said it. it's a production it's now. Really, you know what I mean? It's 10 minutes long now. It's, it's, <laughs> this was just, let's get, you know, it felt to me that, that raw, organic, um, just, combustible element that was so cool in the studio i felt like they they managed to do that there live in arizona it felt the most improv and it felt yeah. like dave was kind of minimalist according to him um in a way that just kind of hey we're going to this section next guys follow me <laughs> like they almost didn't know where they were going uh is stone even on the track i can't i can barely even hear him on the, on the <laughs> version i have um and it's probably as you said the most succinct intimate version out there um and i can understand why that would be uh something to really behold so yeah. i think it's an interesting choice um i love it and i'm curious what you guys think about it because uh, uh, yeah there are 373 other versions Good one Lord. could have chosen from yeah. uh but yeah we're taking this one so that's awesome that's awesome it's very cool all right guys that's the show um Hope you guys will tune in next week for episode 104. We are closing in on the start of the tour. Uh, we're going to be talking about some things more live-centric as we get going uh, next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, if you are going to be in Los Angeles on May 6th and 7th, come say hi to us. We'll be the guys that look like us wearing our own t-shirts. We might have to have... Is there time to get new shirts made for the show? Maybe. Maybe. We're going to look into that. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, be sure to check us out on social media. Follow us uh, wherever social media things happen. I don't know. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We, we have conversations there. Uh, and, uh, you know, give us a, a subscribe. Give us a yeah. rate. A little Maybe. review action. Let's that could, some, that sprinkle nice. some review on there. Yeah. <laughs> sprinkle a little review. Like Salt <laughs> Bay, but it's a review bay. Exactly. Right? Feed that. Feed that. You hear that? It's an algorithm. Gets hungry. There you go. Well, until next week, when we see you one more time, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.